Hello and welcome to Sienna and Slate. The name Sienna and Slate pays homage to our ancestral ways of knowledge sharing. Sienna taken from the color of clay, from the earth that was used as a medium. And Slate, referencing a blank slate or a stone, um, a tablet. These are the stories that don't get told anywhere else. Through a collective of deep conversations, storytelling, and sage advice, we celebrate the interconnected aspects of genius, resilience, scholarship, and well-being. For writers, thinkers, and doers, you are in the right place. I am Dr. Keo, and in this episode, I share this space with Carrie Connolly. Hello, Carrie, how are you? I am well, and I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. I'm definitely excited to be here as well. So, of course, my uh, introduction about you doesn't do you any justice just to say hello. You are a justice-oriented scholar whose work meets at the intersections of spirituality and justice. Um, You're an author, a podcaster, a blogger, and a spiritual worker. So you have so many, so many different facets um, related to your work and and your scholarship. So as as we're going to have this conversation, um, we'll of course get to know you better. But my first question then for you is, how did this happen? Share a bit of your personal journey with us. I ask myself that every day. <laughs> yeah, how did this happen, right? How did we get here? Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I guess I have to kind of start with, you know, I in my early 20s, I followed a boy to a church and Jesus and I had a moment, you know, um, in the ch- within the church. And, um, and then I found myself writing a blog called Jersey Girl Jesus. And in that experience of having, having, writing a blog that um, I was literally just kind of putting in, writing down my observations of things like the Take a Knee movement and what was going on with women's rights in the LGBT plus community from my viewpoint as a, I guess what I was called, called a progressive Christian, I was finding myself on the receiving end of some very vitriolic, hateful, violent comments from white Christian men predominantly. And on the other hand, I was receiving amazing, um, beautiful letters from, for example, moms of trans kids who were coming to be saying, thank you so much for creating a safe space for my child, right? And and between those two things, I realized I really needed to know what I was talking about more. Um, and so I decided to go to seminary. And so when I went to seminary, um, an interesting thing happened, which was that uh, any good seminary is going to blast your face, faith to bits. And that's a good thing, right? Because you want to be able to know that you can stand behind your professed beliefs, right? And so seminary really did that for me. It really kind of um, deconstructed everything that I was understanding. And what that allowed me to do was Uh, it it left big gaping holes in my faith journey. And what that allowed me to do was incorporate more of the, those so-called woo-woo, I don't really like that word, but like Mm -hmm. that would get a woman burned at the stake for, you know, in previous lifetimes, right? To allow that to come in to my faith journey. So I now kind of navigate, I I speak church, I, I, I work with churches, but I also really kind of navigate a boundary between or a borderland between traditional church and, quote, new age, 
you know, type of stuff. So while I was getting my master of divinity, I was also on the side training with people with energy workers and with um, psychic mediums and things like that um, to help me understand the gifts that and the experiences that I'd had with with the divine. So that's kind of where I ended up as far as spirituality. Um, the justice part, again, started with just observations that I was making um, in my blog and then getting to seminary and being exposed to things like liberation theologies and womanism, uh, womanist theologies, things that are absolutely life-changing and um, paradigm-changing for me, they were. Um, but I had one specific thing happen that was transformative for me, transformational, and that was that I wa- we were assigned an episode of On Being, and it was where Krista Tippett was interviewing uh, Ruby Sales. And for those who don't know who Ruby Sales is, she is an activist and a womanist public theologian. And when she was 17, she was standing on um, a front porch of a, at a, at a civil rights rally of a, of a, a I think a, a store. And a white man walked up to her with a shotgun and pulled the trigger and a white seminarian, a young man, threw himself in front of her, took that bullet and died um, immediately, which mm. of course changed the trajectory of her life. And in that episode, she says, I understand that we have a a black liberating theology, but where is the white liberating theology, the the theology that liberates, you know, um, Appalachian white people who are not able to put food on the table or those who are addicted to meth, like where is that that liberating theology for this? Which that's a huge question. And it was ultimately the question that drives my my work in in liberation and justice. And I a few semesters later, actually got to meet her. And she uh, literally, I, I sat at her feet and she held my hand in her lap. And she's in there eyeballs. And she said, I will never forget it. She said, whiteness is killing the souls of white people. It is flattening and homogenizing you. And it is stealing the legacies of your lineages. I have that say like that. Yes. yes. And so that is ultimately what set me on this this quest of spirituality and justice. Perhaps, oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. I love the nods to Ansel Dua on the borderlands. I love the nods to womanist theology and womanist frameworks, right? So yeah. my, my work, and we, we've had this conversation, right? My work centers um, womanism and uses womanism as a framework for in darkened narratives, right? So um, yes, women and sexuality, spirituality, and all of these different different interconnected aspects of our lived experiences. So I absolutely love that. And I love that story of you sitting at her feet. That is so very um, ancestral, so very sage. And you can, that is, that's what we yearn for, right? Yes. Yes. Just tell me the thing I need to know to keep me going. Yeah, exactly. She did that. Yeah. Yes. It was such a beautiful moment. And literally she she transformed my life you know because those words are are absolutely burned into my memory and they are the the reason that i write and even my friends now so i ended up in my master's program while i was going through my master's um i ended up writing and publishing my two books while i was doing the master's work and my friends uh, my one friend mason he's always like i remember the day that we were sitting at the table in the cafeteria and you were talking about that episode and just like so yeah. 
you know, completely um, enraptured with this idea, this question. And um, he's like, I was there when it started. <laughs> funny. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you you bring up your work as a writer in the books that you've published. So let's talk, let's then go there. Uh, let's talk briefly about your works. And so you published um, A Good White Racist, Great mm -hmm. Racist, so that's the name of yeah. the, one of the books. And the other, what's the other? The so, name of the well, other? There's, there's two books. One is called um, Good White Racist, Confronting Your Role in Racial Injustice. And then the second book is called Wait, Is This Racist? And that's Specifically, a guide for churches. Um, to yes, kind of yeah, predominantly white churches. Yeah, yes, and in doing my homework, right? So it's been acclaimed as powerful, and you know, all these yes, all of these good things have been said about this work, and I had a chance to also to read a bit about it. Um, and so it, it says, white folk work that acknowledges the problem of white supremacy and its demonic effects on the American landscape and faith and an interrogation of your own complicity in it. That is, that is a mouthful there. And it's, yeah. <laughs> it's so, a lot, yeah, a lot for us to even take in, chew on, and just, just consider and reflect on. Yeah, so as I started thinking about the question that Ruby Sales posed to us, which was about, you know, where is the white liberating theology? I started to understand that that one of the biggest problems facing the issues of race in America is that white people have suffered a failure of imagination, right? Because we can't imagine what is beyond a world where we are not privileged, empowered, and dominant. Right. And so until we can begin to imagine what that world would look like with the collective, right? It's not just up to us only. We have to do that with the collective. But until we can begin to imagine and do the work of imagining what that world would look like, we're never going to be able to, to move into that reality, right? To make it a reality. But what I started to also understand is that the reason that we don't have, we, we have that failure of imagination is because we don't even see whiteness as a, as the construct that it is, right? As yes. a body of people, we don't see it. And so I had to say, well, where did this construct of whiteness come from? And that's really where good white racist comes from, right? Because there are so many, you know, it's not geared toward the KKK or it, you know, it's not geared Correct. toward neo-Nazis. It's geared toward good white people who, who intellectually abhor the idea of racism, but do not recognize their own participation in it because they think it's something out there over there back then not now somewhere else rather than right here in their embodiment and so that's yeah. what i tried to point them to yeah absolutely so just this week i teach qualitative research so just this week i was having a conversation with my grad students uh we're talking about subjectivity and positionality and research and how we're positioning ourselves in our research Right, so this this very topic came up um, in our conversations because I I challenge them to not only think about how they're putting themselves into their research, but how it affects the communities and how it affects mm -hmm. people and the questions that they ask, you know, and the way that they come and approach the research that they intend to do, because we're we're not researching on people, we are researching mm -hmm. with people, right? So I need you to do this shift. 
and not only your paradigm, but also your language and how yes. you're using these things and talking about these things as well. So this is very timely because this is the same conversation that we're having with my students. I love that. Yes, about how how we come to these spaces and and um, how we are not devoid of bringing ourselves into the research from the very beginning of the conceptualization of our, our question, our topic. We have already made some investment, right? So it is not that you, yes, it is not that you come totally objective. That is not possible whatsoever. Right. That's it's so interesting that you're saying that because the class that I'm currently taking for my doctorate work is a class on autoethnography. And yeah. autoethnography really talks about the fact that like it's kind of the answer to that problem where where an autoethnographer is going to say, "Hey, this is this is how I am my, my own story of how I've been impacted by these social constructs, right?" And so it's such an important question and it's so important because the thing is is that the mo the, those who embody the mo the most dominance have the least ability to see it until it's shown to them. And I I talk in my work about how straight white Christian men tend to be outside the circle of empathy. Now that does not mean that they are not good people. It does not mean that they are not empathic. It just means that you know, as a white bodied woman. I do not know what it's like to be to live in a black body, but I do know what a microaggression feels like. I do know yeah. what it's like to drive in and to to sit in the back of an Uber on the way to a, a, an event where I am going to be the speaker about a theological topic and have the Uber driver tell me the entire way that he doesn't believe women should preach. Right. So mm. I know and and I know what it's like to have to sit there and make the decision. Do I do I just suck this up and maintain my safety because this man I'm driving in yes. this man's car um, and then deal with the shame I will feel later for not sticking up for myself or do I engage him in a conflict right so having to navigate that and that's what essentially happens in every time there's a microaggression that happens right so I can have a form of empathy for people who have a different but similar experience but straight white Christian men in America don't have those kinds of experiences and so they have to yes. practice a, a, a bigger stretch of imagination a more intentional imagination to move into the circle of empathy right so it's really important for us to be doing that intentionally yeah i a couple of things that are i'm trying to i'm trying to may i'm taking a couple notes because i'm trying to manage <laughs> all of my questions because i'm like yes 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 and 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 right so <laughs> so I want, I want us to talk about this imagining for sure. And that may be a question that's, uh, that may be an answer that's just interwoven into our conversation. But I want us to talk about imagining because how do we do that? And what does that look like um, from a lens of, of curiosity? So I've been on this kick lately uh, and I am working on a manuscript with uh, Tierra Lander. So shout out to Tierra, my whole world. Uh, yeah, so I'm working on a manuscript with Tierra, and we're talking about curiosity, and of course, qualitative research and in the researcher, right? So, how how is this imagining with an element of curiosity? Because you have to be, you have to remain curious about people, and in order to ask these questions, in order to ask these deep questions, do these deep reflections, not only on the other person, 
but also being curious about where where are these questions coming from? Why do I? Why am I interested in this? That sort of thing. So then this this imagination. That's very interesting that you say that. Um, with my current research, it just kind of peaked. Like, oh, this this has to this has to be something there. Yeah. But also, yeah. But also, and I know I've asked you a question and you haven't had time to answer. No, that's okay. I'm taking. I'm writing stuff down, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I told you we're gonna have a conversation. I told you we're gonna. Have a conversation. <laughs> but also with this with this thinking about um, deconstructing these constructs and deconstructing. Um, these paradigms that we hold, right? Education, education does that. And education is supposed to do that. But also in our educational landscape, we are seeing that there's a lot of silencing, a lot of banning, a lot of um, uh, mainstreaming of, of thought, right? So well, how does that work as well? Be, because we we say, and, and it is usually the white males that we see in these these administrative positions and in these indeed, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So, uh, interesting. <laughs> where do we go? What are yeah. we doing here? You know, where do we go? So, as far as imagining, as far as uh, imagining, I think that one of the first things, and my work has is kind of, I'm kind of focusing in in my doctorate studies on dominance, embodiment, and trauma through an autoethnography, like through through a, a, stance, a lens of autoethnography. And one of the things that I think is really important, especially when I work with white people, is, is reconnecting with the body. Um, yes. Because the first step to being able to imagine something is that you have to remove defensiveness, right? You have to remove the barriers to your imagination and to get to that curiosity, that place of curiosity, you have to recognize where you're feeling afraid, where you're feeling threatened or triggered or defensive, right? And so another thing that's, re that, and I, I, this could be a whole podcast episode in and of itself about the ways in which whiteness has, is, is essentially and inherently disembodied. Um, mm -hmm. Through our heritage and our lineages, we have just been completely in our heads, disembodied from, you know, separated from our embodied experiences in so many ways. And um, in order to move back into the body and to feel um, where is that defensiveness showing up? Where am I, where am I feeling angry? And then practicing curiosity about that first and foremost, yes. like, oh, I'm really curious about why I'm feeling so defensive. And here are the two questions that, um, or the, the question that I really get to when I notice that is what's at stake? What is at stake? And, and I can't tell you how much that question pisses off white men, but I hope I'm just makes white men. Is, okay. um, but when I, we are free to talk. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. I am from Jersey after all. <laughs> but, um, but, but when I ask them, what's at stake that you feel you need to defend at this moment in time? Because if you can really sit with that question for a minute, then you can begin to start looking at the constructs that have been embedded in you. And that brings me to the second question, which is, yes, a good education should help you deconstruct, should give you the tools of clear yeah. thinking to deconstruct. But, but in actuality, much of our American education is more about constructing those things. And some of that is done very directly, and some of that is done very subtly, and not not even on purpose. It's just 
regurgitating the same construct over yeah. and over again without even really paying attention. And I talk a little bit about that in the education chapter of, of Good White Racist. Um, and when we talk, for example, about critical race theory, and everybody is in such mm -hmm. a tizzy about this, what people are not understanding is that any kind of critical theory, whether it's Marxist theory, feminist theory, race theory, it's yeah. about taking the lens of race, feminism, Marxism, whatever, mm -hmm. and applying it to whatever it is that you're looking at and saying, okay, how is race at play in the, in this situation? How is, you know, so, so people are all in a tizzy about something that they have no understanding, like what it actually is, right? Yes. Um, but, but the ability to think critically, to self-reflect critically, um, and by critically, obviously, I mean to apply critical thought, not to be self, not to be negative, but to apply yeah. critical thought, mm -hmm. right? Is I think paramount to to being able to imagine. Then there has to be the humility of releasing our dominance as, as those of us who are hold dominance in any type of way. I I have an article that's going to be published um, soon. I just turned in the final edits. Um, and in it, I coin the, I, I talk about intersectional dominance, right? So playing off yeah. of Kimberly Crenshaw's intersectionality, yeah. I want to point to the very unique situation, um, or of of a body that, or of a person who embodies both dominance and uh, marginalization. So, for example, white women. Mm -hmm. And black men both embody intersectional dominance. Now, the lived experience is vastly yes. different, um, but it's really important to begin to pay attention to our embodiment, and then we can move into a place of imagination by releasing our dominance and knowing where it's at at play, and then moving into the collective, working with the collective to imagine together. This is this is. I, I, I just yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you okay. can see the wheels turning yeah you can see the wheels. <laughs> so so as we're talking about this um my mentor my mentor kakali Bhattacharya, she um is a qualitative researcher qualitative scholar she told she was the first to tell me uh, to, or to bring to my awareness, I should say, that um, justice work requires an element of care and requires an element of self-care. So as we're talking about the interconnected aspects of all of this, um, we know that the work is mentally draining, emotionally draining, psychologically taxing. How do we then incorporate an element of care how do we how do we yeah. then uh, make sure that we're not only doing the work but that we're doing it well not only well that we're doing a good job but that we're doing it well within our own bodies and ourselves and that we're not inviting into disease or sickness or all the other things that can come when we tax our bodies yeah our bodies. that is it's such a good question, and and what I want to essentially get to um, is we have to resist the 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 white Anglo-Saxon Protestant work ethic and ethos of perfectionism 
that is embedded in all of us if we have grown up in, you know, in, in America. Um, and that's a really hard thing. That hustle mentality is a really hard thing to resist, right? Um, but but this self-care is so important because one of the things that I, I have found, unfortunately for me these days, I find myself on the dating apps, which is, oh, I could write a whole book about that situation. And, you know, one of the things that I have experienced time and time again is the casual racism and the casual sexism of so many of the people that I meet on these dating apps. Mm-hmm. And the the requirement, if I'm going to live an authentic life and be authentically mm-hmm. who I am, the requ- requirement that even in those most personal kinds of relationships, I still show up doing the work, which yes. has to be really exhausting. It, even though I put it right up there front and center on my profiles, right? They still they still show up. And I have to do that work even in the so-called, you know, recreational time, the time that I'm I'm yeah. supposed to be having fun. And um I had to explain just recently to a date because he said, "Well, why can't we just have why does it have to be so heavy? Why can't we just have And I'm like, "Well, spoken like a true straight white man, you know, who doesn't have to have to deal with this. So the the element of self-care in this is really important. And the reason it's important, especially for those, and I'm going to say this, I I can only speak for white, white body people, Mm -hmm. but for white body people, this journey of deconstructing dominance within us is, is exhausting, Mm -hmm. but it's also, it's, it's never ending. It's never going to end. We're going to be battling this within ourselves for our, our entire lives if we're doing it right. So that means that we have to, we have to practice some grace for ourselves. We have to mm-hmm. still holding ourselves responsible, but we have to practice grace. We have to um, be willing, like I said, to resist the hustle mentality and the perfectionism and the "I'm going to fix everything now." That saviorism complex that white people will often bring to the table, um, mm-hmm. and we have to be able, be willing to just do what we can. Do, do what's in front of us at any given time um, yeah. and then find those things that really do care for us, whether that's a bath or time with beloveds or taking care of your finances or whatever it might be that's going to give you peace of mind. Yes. So, so as I'm listening to this, I'm hearing an element of allyship as well, right? So in doing the work and continuing to do the work, um, as a white-bodied person, there's an element then of allyship that you are also connecting yourself with Black and Brown people and um, LGBTQ and all of the other social and uh, civil rights activists and groups that that you're then advocating for. Um, how do then what 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 are your what's my question here? What are your what are your tips and or your um, what are your secrets for how to do allyship well? What how how do we do that both within our and you you've mentioned you know with the self care and things like that and and continuing to interrogate our own assumptions and to continue to interrogate how we're showing up in the world, but personally, but also within the broader social context, how do you do allyship well? That's that's a great question. And I think the answer changes every day because the context is changing every day. And I think that's mm-hmm. tip number one is you have to recognize that every day language is evolving. Um, 
what was appropriate last week may not be appropriate this week because we've learned and we're doing better, right? So, um, and also we're not going to be able to please everyone, right? Um, yeah. Some of my, some of, I, I also, I, I, all right, I'm just going to go there. I think that there is a, I think that there is a, a problem in the the ways that we are approaching some of this justice work. Some of the, okay. the biggest, I've had issues where some of the, my biggest critics have are, are other progressive white ladies like me who are telling me that I should not do this work, um, which is frustrating to me because it's not, I'm not only doing this, I'm not doing this um, only because I see a problem out in the world. I'm doing this because I see a problem within me and that I need to heal, right? And my concern, my deep concern is I believe that the, you know, the the art, the moral arc of the universe is indeed bending toward justice, right? And as we are are bending toward our, as we move along that arc, that is movement. It is about a change. We are we're not staying in one place, right? What I see kind of happening right now is um, as white people or people who embody dominance, that can be as men or however, mm-hmm. whatever, heter- heteronormative people, as we move into these spaces and we begin to work out our deconstruction and we begin to start to say, whoa, my brain has been colonized by the institutional church. I have been removed from the, as Ruby sales, removed from the lineage of, of my, the legacy yeah. of my lineage, right? My people's language yeah. was decimated. My people's uh, spiritual practices have been decimated. As I learned that my Celtic ancestors burned sage as well, right? So... Mm-hmm. Is there space for for those of us who have been dominant, who, who, who do embody dominance, dominance and still are, to begin to say, I want to connect with my uh, very distant indigenous practices I, as a way of decolonizing my own brain, my own mind, my own soul. Does that mean that I'm always appropriating when I burn sage? But if I, if it was a practice from my ancient Celtic heritage. Is that that still appropriation? And I feel like there is this, um, there's not a lot of space for white people to do that discovery or for members of, do- of dominant identities to do that discovery um, and to have conversations about it. And, and let me be clear, and I mean to be very clear here, white people, people who are embodying dominance need to do that work with great responsibility. And never as an excuse and say, well, my ancestors burned sage, so you shut up, right? We need to do the enter into this work with a a sense of great humility and sensitivity to the fact that we still are dominant and we still are privileged and black and brown bodies and LGBTQ bodies are dying every single day and the hands of dominant identities. So we don't get a free pass to just do this however. We have to be thoughtful, we have to be intentional, and we have to be honest about what it is that we're doing. And when we mess up, we have to be willing to say, wow, I really messed up, right? Yes. 
So it would be so easy, for example, for, for you, and I know you're not going to do this, but for somebody to grab a soundbite from what I just said and only take the front part where I was talking about white people yes. the first age, right? And not hear the entirety of what I was saying. And that in it is exactly the problem that I see in the yes. space right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. I really appreciate the honesty in our conversation. Um, and just the 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 um, bravery, vulnerability, transparency, all of the things, right, in our conversation. And we can have, have this conversation about um, sensitive topics for that these are sensitive topics for people to hear, but they're also very sensitive for people to talk about as well. And especially in the climate of what we're seeing in our government and what we're seeing um, just in, you know, in our communities and in, in our neighborhoods, um, in our laws, right? So, and, and then with the, the, um, The, the the laws the rescinding of laws that have protected um or advanced in some way shape or form um those those people that are on out the margins so yes i do appreciate that um because we have we have some things that are that are happening and a lot of us don't understand what's happening you know um the implications, the large implications, the societal broader implications that happened when you overturn Roe v. Wade or when you um, overturn affirmative action, but continue to leave legacy, um, admissions, things like that. So yes, so these are broader societal things that are happening and it will have a confounding effect. And it is not that it just, it just happens in a silo. Or it just happens at one point in time and then it doesn't have a ripple effect that's going to have a, a tremendous ripple effect and we haven't even begun to see that yet so i do appreciate these conversations that we are able to have in this regard and then the people that will listen to this right so the people that will listen to this they will of course have their they will filter it through their own understanding through their own perceptions their own lenses but they are they are then our people because they are sitting here to listen as well so we welcome those people. We welcome everyone to this conversation um, as well. But in order to come to the conversation, you have to come with the level of humility. You also have to come to the to the conversation with a level of respect. So, yeah. So let's not yeah. let's not uh yeah let's not get crazy here about how we're going to have this conversation. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I'm I'm oh. sure you get comments and things like that, right? I'm sure you get lots of um, feedback on your on your episodes, and I think that um, it's interesting. Respect is a really interesting word that that you bring because I think that at at um, the base of so much of what you just mentioned, with, where these laws are being rescinded, and is a lack of respect. It is a lack of respect for other human beings that are not straight, white, and male, right? And what I'm seeing, and I hate to keep going back to the dating apps, but I'm, but what's interesting is I see this in, in the ways in which people are interacting with each other in ways, um, that, that would have previously been, um, unacceptable. And so just to give you a quick, very brief story, I was texting with a, a person I had met and he was like, well, come to my house. I had never met him. I said, dude, I'm not coming to your house. 
And he was like, and he got really mad and he started berating me, telling me that something was wrong with me because Mm. I obviously wasn't capable of using common sense to know that if something had happened, he, I would be able to report him. Sure. And he, he said he was so tired of having to prove that he's a safe man. And I, again, this, what, that wouldn't have been acceptable in 2015, right? And he would have known better. He would have understood that he needs to do a little bit of extra work to earn the respect and the trust of some of a woman, right? And I think that is at the when you talk about respect, that's at the base of of the the changes that are happening is that the, those who have power really don't respect those of us who they are exerting power over. Mm-hmm. And they don't need to listen to our stories, they don't think. They don't need to mm-hmm. acknowledge the ways our bodies are impacted by the rules they're making, right? It's just, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it doesn't affect them. Yeah, No. It doesn't affect them. Yeah. Absolutely. What else? What What else are we, what are we missing here? What do we, what do we need to talk about? I think that, I mean, the thing that I am fascinated with right now is this idea of the intersectionality of the church, the institution of the church, and um, the quote "new age," um, whatever. Somebody recently said, "I saw a meme on Instagram that woo woo is actually a pretty white supremacist term um, used to degrade." And I was like, "Oh, they're right," because it's basically used to degrade anything that isn't logical, Western. <laughs> Belief, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. So I'm not going to use, I'm going to try really hard not to use that word anymore. I will probably yes. not always succeed, but I'm going to try. Um, but it's really interesting to me. I, I tell this to my seminary professors all the time. I'm like, you know, we're, we're here in, in seminary and we talk about, um, we talk about things like intersectionality and we talk about um, interfaith, right? So we talk about all of these mm-hmm. other relationship with other uh, world religions. But the one thing that we're not paying attention to is the quote new age and if you you know world and if you walk into barnes and noble the christian living section is all the way in the back but right up front are all the books on tarot and witchcraft and mm-hmm. all of those other things and i partake like i am very fascinated by all of those things. why so I, I lean into those i'd look at them um and i think that there's a lot of a lot of truth there so let's look at the sociological impacts of that right what does that mean it means any time in the past in history that women have been oppressed or that have, there has been a lot of abuses of power, those types of gnosis, those types of knowledge and wisdom tend to go on the rise, right? So mm-hmm. we're seeing an interest in those kinds of, of uh, practices. It's probably because there are people who are individually seeking for their own empowerment. And I think that's a really important thing to, to understand. The other thing that I think is really important to understand is that they can be two two sides of the same coin, the same power coin, because in when you talk about, for example, the whitewashing of um, of dominance and of privilege and power um, in the church, you say we talk. It's about well, let's just don't don't worry about your body now. Don't worry about what's happening to your body now because you're going to go up to heaven heaven yes where in in the new age world it's very toxic positivity it's you know just don't even worry about that don't don't worry about your yeah don't don't worry about that just think positively and everything will be fine yeah right? so there's an interesting two 
double-edged sword there that um, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's important and it, it, it's all woven into the fabric of our society. So that hustle mentality, that think positively, it's a very American thing. It's a very American thing. We have Americanized it, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to pay attention to that. Yeah, yeah. So what, what are some practical tips for as we're paying attention to these things and as we're really looking at these things, what are some, so what are some practical tips to then move to the next step? What do we do next? Mm. I think it's, number one, it's really important to avoid sound bites um, sound, sound by what, you know, any kind of that, the, the world loves to think in tweets now. Right. And yes, you can't, you can't hold truth in a tweet. You can't, it, it, you have to dive deeper. You have to be willing to think, um, a little bit more critically about whatever the thing is that's happening. Um, and I think it's really important to maintain, um, I think it's important to, to maintain your integrity again by practicing deep curiosity of yourself first and foremost. What's going on inside you before you take your next step or action or say your next word, right? Um, yeah. Really paying attention to that. That's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking about this element of curiosity again. Uh, because like I said, it is in the forefront of the thing that I'm writing on. So I'm thinking about this. So when you say to remain curious or to be curious, um, I am, I am aware and very conscientious that, uh, when I'm asking my students, my grad students to remain curious, they don't know how to do that. Um, right. So we have, it's like a buzz that's been, oh, just be curious, remain curious, but but they're like, but I don't really know what you mean when you say that. I don't know. What did that look like? Right? What, yeah. 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 And yeah. So how do we, how do we do that? What does that mean? I think it's, I think it is really literally about um, asking questions, right? So I talked earlier about first noticing the defensiveness, right? And asking ourselves, okay, well, what's at stake for me? What are, what what is it that I feel the need to defend, and where did that come from? Um, and then asking myself, well, when was the first time I believed that? Right? Like, when was the first time? How did that thought get there? Who who put that thought there? What the, what thought does that serve? Who's who is served by that thought? Right? That's a really good question. Who is served by that belief? Right? Is it me? Is it somebody else? Is it the patriarchy? You know the 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 white supremacist nation, who is it? And then I think when we meet other people, because essentially that's where this lands, right? A lot of this change, I, I, there's this awesome, I have it, I'm working over here because I have it somewhere. Oh, I hope I can find it. Um, I believe the handle on TikTok is BXB. Okay. Cause I want to give him credit, but he, uh, he did a TikTok and he was talking about how he saw a young child who uh, and his a white mom and a white kid and and the daughter had three dolls. One was like a white doll, one was a black doll, and one I don't know something else, right? Um, and and they were all playing together and they were all friends and everything was amazing. And he goes, I call that a micro progression. And I just loved that idea, like a micro progression. And I do think that engaging in micro progressions is one of the ways that we're actually going to initiate real change. And so a micro progression that is based in curiosity 
might look like being confronted as I was on a date last night, being confronted with somebody who is saying, well, why can't we just, you know, relax and have fun? Why does it have to be heavy? And saying, okay, well, where does that come from? What pain is this person holding that Mm -hmm. um, is tender for them that might be um, triggered by what I'm saying? How can I create a safe place for this person to deconstruct? Um, mm-hmm. what he just said and, and help him to understand that it was um, pretty sexist and, and racist, right? How can I, um, what are what are some of the things that rather than, but but you can't get to that, that point until you've limited yourself and done the work mm-hmm. and settled your own body and, you know, um, been willing to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to notice my defensiveness and the fact that I want to say a whole bunch of words to this man and then walk away. And I'm going to try to recognize his humanity. I'm going to recognize his divinity. And I'm going to be willing to honor that rather than the social constructs that have been programmed on top of his divinity. And I'm going to try to to access that divinity. And I'm going to take some deep breaths. (laughs) And I'm going to try to make space for soul to evolve. Yeah. Beautifully put. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> beautifully put oh my goodness some days they so, do it better than others <laughs> absolutely some days we do it better than others absolutely right absolutely i have really enjoyed our conversation um so we have a segment called off the cuff and it's where uh, people send in random questions um so our question today if you're up for playing still yeah sure. Yeah, so our question today is, um, if you were to go back in time, what's the one thing from today you would take with you? Ooh, oh, that's a great question. Um, the one thing from today, honestly, I think right now, if I have to answer that question right in this moment, it, can be, it would be my oracle cards right now because this is a way that i i connect with my own self and with spirit and i i i use these every day and they give me a lot of a lot of insight and wisdom and um you know they're not i don't think that they're anything magical or divine or anything like that it's just a way for me to to self-reflect um and i do believe that there's some energy that that comes through me to work with them but um yeah, this is something that really, really helps me to reconnect with myself. And I don't think I would want to be anywhere where I couldn't feel really deeply connected with self. Yes, yes. So really quick, tell us about this the item that you would take and how um, you use it. Okay, so this particular one is called Sacred Rebels Oracle Card by Alana Fairchild. Um and basically, it's it's like any other oracle deck, um, but it I like this one in particular because I am a rebel, and I had to kind of align myself with that uh, that truth um, because it comes with certain costs, and um, yeah, yeah, it comes yeah. with certain costs that can be painful. Um, and I just use it every morning. I take three cards. I, I shuffle them, put them, spread them out, and I just am drawn to three cards, and I take them out, and then I read the book, and. Um, it helps me to um, connect with things that are going on in my life, whether it's relationships or career or whatever. 
trauma, my own trauma that I'm processing um, from my childhood, and it helps me um, find another perspective to work with them. So, yeah, yeah that's what I would yeah. take with me. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, before we sign off, what are you working on that we can support? Uh, where can we follow you, find you? And of course, all of these will be in the show notes for our listeners. Yeah. Uh, that come to I love that. How can we support you? Thank you so much. So um, my website is com. So that's nice and simple. That's a great place to, to connect with me. So is Instagram, which is at Um, But right now, one of the things that I'm really, really excited about is um, something called the Soul Elixir Workshop. It's a one-hour workshop. It's super inexpensive. It's only going to be like $27 and it will be available for replay. But it's really for people who are ready to lean into their their soul purpose, um, who really want to um, start start doing that work and are tired of feeling the imposter syndrome, tired of feeling those same obstacles over and over and over again. Um, so we're going to bring in some of the some some energetic work, and we're going to talk. I'm going to talk about some practices that have um, really helped me dig deep and heal some core wounding. Because any light worker in the world who wants to do some something big um, has to be healing their core wounds, and that's what we're going to be working on. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. That sounds awesome. So like I said, all of that information and all of Carrie's links will be in the show notes um, for you to just click and have direct access to her. So I really appreciate your time, uh, Carrie, and soon to be Dr. Connolly. Yeah. I cannot wait. Yeah. You have to keep me posted. <laughs> yeah, you have to keep me posted. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is such a fun, great conversation. I so you should Absolutely. And I am sure this will not be our last conversation because we're going to continue to have this conversation and we're going to continue to bring you on so we can have these conversations. I hope so. That would be awesome. Absolutely. So as we end our time, thank you for listening or watching. Uh, Please subscribe to the show, share it with a friend, write a review, uh, leave a five-star rating. You all know what to do by now. And follow us on social media. If you have any idea for the show uh, or would like to be a potential guest, or are interested in learning more about Sienna and Slate, reach out at hello at siennainslate.com and we will see you soon. Take care. Bye.